His whole plan was this, um, that when he left this planet, he left his task unfinished, not his task of providing for our reconciliation with God, but getting the good news out. That he entrusted to us. And uh, we take that seriously as a church, and this evening we're going to be gathering um, for as many as you can, and I just put an impassioned plea out to you um, to come and be a part of this. Uh, What we want to do is equip ourselves better to how we can communicate God's love, and uh, I, I think and trust you'll find this refreshing and not maybe what you would think that... uh, you'd feel uh, a pressure or you're not the right personality or this kind of thing to be able to be used by God. And that's just not the case. So I want to challenge you to come out and allow God to uh, share in, in, in our lives and, and, and help us to understand how we can better do this as a church body. Well, we've been talking about... Um, about our mission as a church and the commission that was given to us, uh, can I get the uh, can I get the uh, the screen up at the back, please? Um, uh, the mission of the church is to is to see us create uh, passionate followers of Jesus. In fact, uh, here's what uh, here's what was said uh, in the in the Great Commission. No, that's not it. I guess we're going to do another offering now. Isn't it wonderful how God works? I tell tell you the truth. I was in a church once, and they took the offering, and they looked at it, and they said it wasn't good enough, and they sent them out a second time. I couldn't believe it. And I, I just wonder if, you know, God is just kind of trying to direct us in that way. Uh, thank you for that. So the mission of the church is, is to create and to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And here's, here's how Jesus said it after his resurrection, just before he went back to heaven. Here's the instructions that he gave. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Pause if you have not been baptized yet, but you're a believer. That's the next step. And uh, we, we're in... in um, November, we'll have an opportunity for you to be able to do that. Talk to us if that's the case. And then he says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So what it is, is to make disciples or followers, to baptize them and and initiate them and welcome them into the body of Christ. And then to teach them to obey everything he's commanded. And that lasts for a lifetime. So to make these uh, to lead people, and, and here's our, uh, our mission statement, to lead people to know Jesus Christ, to enter into a relationship with him, and to follow him passionately. What does it mean to be a passionate follower of Jesus? What does a passionate follower of Jesus look like? Well, I think it, it looks like um, what Jesus is going to be teaching us in this ser- new series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he wants us to become like Jesus. In fact, Jesus would say in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, he said, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And, and so Jesus is a rabbi, he's a teacher. 
Uh, he's so much more than that. But he was that, and he had his followers, and they would listen and learn for, uh, from what he taught. And uh, they would try and emulate him and live out what he was saying. And, and what, does a, what does a follower look like? Well, uh, you, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, then pay attention to what, what a follower of Christ should look like. And if you are a follower of Christ... Um, I, I think this will be a time that will challenge us a bit uh, as we understand what that means and the impact on our lives and what changes that may bring uh, to us. Um, to help us understand this, Jesus preaches his most famous sermon. And probably after Psalm 23 and John 3.16, uh, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known of of Jesus uh, teachings and uh, there's a truth that he needs us to pick up there's a concept in here that we maybe don't understand fully and that is the concept of the kingdom of heaven and Jesus ruled so we see over and over uh, in the bible the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and uh, the kingdom refers to the rule the rule of God the rule of heaven the rule of heaven on earth. And uh, so sometimes it, it, it's, he calls it the kingdom of God. Sometimes he calls it the kingdom of heaven. Um, but when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, do you remember what he said? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what God's plan for us, and Jesus' plan for us, is that we would pray this prayer that the kingdom of God would be enacted on earth as it is in heaven. And that is, in heaven, his will is perfectly enacted. Here, no, not so much. Um, and so when we begin to look uh, in Matthew's gospel, we find this. Uh, we, we're introduced to John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is come has come near it, it's it, it's right on the verge so he's preparing people that the messiah the king is coming and he's going to bring his rule with him and so he says you know take sit up and take notice the kingdom of kevin uh, of heaven is at hand did i it sounded like kevin didn't it <laughs> ouch <laughs> step away folks step away Jesus was pre- <laughs> stop it Michael Wong you know better now stop it thank you <laughs> and I have my own little kingdom and Gerda won't even be part of it <laughs> it's a very small kingdom um, the kingdom of heaven is near it's just about here. And the heart, the heart cry of humanity should be with Jesus. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in my life, in our church, in our nation, in our world, as it is in heaven. And uh, so when we, look at the, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see this. Here's what he did. From time at that time on, Jesus began to preach. He started his ministry, and he says, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven." 
Elders, come and seize me and take me on. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was Jesus' message. And then we see him, he goes through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Um, and, and what is he he's doing? He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. Now, we don't talk a lot about the kingdom. We talk about the gospel. We don't talk about a lot about the kingdom. And this is, uh, this is kind of a, a really key thing because the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, happens uh, scores of times in the New Testament. So Jesus' ministry is to teach this good news of the, of the gospel, uh, of the kingdom. And so the kingdom is the rule of God. And what does life look like under the rule of God? Well, let me say how, how, do we, how we got in there in the first place is we became kingdom citizens. And here's what Paul said to the Colossians. He said, for he, that's, that's Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us uh, into the kingdom of the son he loves. Here, here's what happened. You were enslaved in the kingdom of darkness, you, you, you couldn't break free of it. You were controlled by it. It ran your life. It ran your priorities and values. And Jesus did something incredible when he came. He came and he busted you free from that. He brought you out of the, the dominion of darkness or the kingdom of darkness. And he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He freed us, and he granted us a different allegiance, and that would be allegiance to Jesus. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And, and Peter, would put, Peter would put it this way. Peter would say, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from simple, sinful desires which war uh, against your soul. So what happens is we become... Uh, aliens and strangers, he says. We become uh, resident aliens. Now, if I were to move to, say, France, and uh, I would live there, but I wouldn't be a citizen of there, I would be a resident alien. Um, And I know that sounds really weird if you're into Star Wars stuff and all that kind of thing. But this is, uh, we're to live, though, not as the place we are if our citizenship is somewhere else. And he says, he says to us this, we're resident aliens in the earth. The earth is not our home. We're not citizens of the earth in that sense. We're citizens of heaven and the kingdom of heaven. And so God wants us to be different than the kingdom that he brought us out of. And we're to live a higher, nobler ethic and, and a lifestyle that reflects what Jesus uh, as our king, as our sovereign, as our Lord. And we're to reflect his values and how we live our life. So Jesus came with an agenda. He, he came with an agenda uh, to make us a part of his kingdom. He wanted, uh, Jesus wanted a kingdom where he would come and liberate people, uh, liberate them from Uh, from dominance and from wrong values and from being uh, in bondage. And and his desire was to do that. Now, the the Israelites, um, the Jews, they wanted someone to do that. It's just that they had a different idea of kingdom. Their idea of kingdom was somebody who would come and give them political freedom from the Romans, 
who occupied their land and who, to whom they paid taxes and all of this kind of stuff. In fact, in John 6, 6 um, the people wanted, after Jesus fed the 5,000, the people wanted to force him to be king. This is the kind of king we got. He's, he, it's prosperity. He, he, he will, he'll be the kind of king that we'll want. Jesus is being cross-examined by, uh, by Pilate just before he goes to the cross. And uh, Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus said, well, you said it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a king. Well, but he says, you don't understand. He says, because my kingdom is not from this world. What you see is not my kingdom. Uh, he has a different kingdom. Jesus came with a countercultural kingdom, one that turned the world's values upside down. And as we come to the Sermon on the Mount, it's considered probably the greatest moral document ever written. You know, people around the world, uh, different faiths and no faith, when they have read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, they have been so taken by how lofty and noble and how, how beautiful it is. Uh, Dallas Willard would say this uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's the highest expression of religious insight and moral inspiration. That's what Jesus is bringing to us. And that's where for the next uh, number of weeks, right up till when we get ready for Christmas, we're going to be going through this. And uh, folks, we could, uh, on the Beatitudes starting today, uh, we could take and we could do a dozen messages just on them, verse after verse after verse, but we want to get through this um, this fall. And so we're going to uh, go through this important uh, sermon that Jesus preaches that tells us what the, the kingdom of heaven is all about and what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and how does it look uh, what, and how do we see that happening. And so we've got here uh, the blessing of, of kingdom living. So God calls us, Jesus calls us to live according to the kingdom. And for all of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, he's going to show us what it means to be a passionate follower through this uh, sermon. Um, now it was delivered earlier on in Jesus' public ministry, but Jesus was, uh, was a captivating teacher, a miracle worker. Uh, he healed, the crowds fled to him. And uh, on one occasion, uh, the crowds are coming, and he goes up on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it, 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 uh, it elevates there the topography. And he went up there, and the crowds followed him to hear him and to have him minister to them. And his disciples went, and he sat down, which was a, a common uh, teaching, preaching posture. Uh, he sat down and began uh, to do this uh, sermon. Uh, the Beatitudes. And so we're going to go through these Beatitudes, and because of time, we can't, uh, we can't uh, park for very long in each one of them. Uh, but these are the blessings that God, that, that Jesus gives us, that if we would follow him, we would submit to his kingdom, uh, that we would live out these truths that he's talking about, and we would be happy, that we would be content that we would be blessed of God if we would do that. And so let's, uh, let's go and look at these and, and let's ask God to challenge our hearts to understand how these apply to us. The first one, he said, is blessed are the poor in spirit. 
The poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. We're not really keen on poverty, uh, certainly not on uh, uh, material poverty. Uh, and in fact, I would say a lot of people would say, well, happy are the rich, not happy are the poor. And uh, people who want happiness and success and attainments and fame, uh, this, this doesn't sound very appealing to them. But this is to be poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor inside, to be spiritually poor, to be spiritually bankrupt, that there would be no pride, that there would be no self-sufficiency, that... Uh, we would know that we have no standing with God. We've, we've got no uh, ability to stand before God in any way. We have no resources to re- remedy the problems and issues that we're facing. Uh, at one point, Jesus speaks and tells a parable about uh, two people who went to pray at the temple. Uh, one was a Pharisee. He was a good guy. He was uh, a religious guy. He was a guy who w- was, was so circumspect in how he lived his life to the law and he goes in to pray and he looks up to heaven and he raises his hands and he sees another guy who's not right up where he is but back away. And he was a tax collector. He was like the lowest of the low. He was just scum. He, he, he it was reprehensible. And he looked up to heaven and he said to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men like this tax collector. Uh, and he, he, really, he really prayed to himself. He talked about himself. The other man, uh, the tax collector, wouldn't uh, come close to the front. He stood back. He wouldn't lift his head in pride or in arrogance. He, his head was bowed, and he was beating his chest. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus asked the question, which one of these guys went away justified? It wasn't the religious guy. It wasn't the guy who dotted all his theological I's and crossed his theological T's and did everything uh, so, uh, so uh, specifically. Uh, it, was, it was the guy who had nothing to bring. The guy who could do nothing but say, God, be merciful to me. I don't deserve it. I have nothing to offer you. That's the kind of person. And in God's economy, what he's interested in is that, that we understand that we have nothing before God. We have nothing to stand before Him. That all we can do is reach out for mercy. It's here that we start and understand some, uh, some of the, the meaning of what acceptance with God is all about. It's here that we understand that it's not based on our efforts and what we do. There's no place for pride in God's kingdom. The hymn writer would put it this way, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked came I to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. I have nothing to offer you, Lord, nothing at all. The poor in spirit. And he said, here's what it is. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. We think, no, it should be the religious guy who does everything right and he gives and he serves. and he, uh, he, No, that's not, the, that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for somebody who recognizes that he's, that he's absolutely and unequivocally spiritually bankrupt and he has nothing to offer. You have no privilege with God. 
by virtue of your money or your status or whatever you have. All he's looking for is those who will be poor in spirit and, and acknowledge that they are nothing but filthy beggars who have no right. And when we come to God and approach him on that basis, he says, you know, the, one, the ones who the kingdom of heaven is, it's these people. It's not the religious people who are self-satisfied and smug and proud and arrogant and think that they can make it on the basis of their own good deeds. Well, he goes on and he says this, uh, Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We live in a world of sin where there is brokenness everywhere we look on this globe in every different facet of life. Uh, We look around and we see people languishing physically, mentally. We see them struggling. We see relationally uh, people's lives are torn apart. We see death of loved ones. We see all kinds of terrible, terrible things. And there's a lot of mourning. And, and, and ultimately, it can all be traced back to sin. Our rebellion against God is, is where all of that starts. The source of all mourning, ultimately, is our rebellion against God. Jesus himself mourned. Jesus goes to the grave of his friend. And uh, he'd been in the grave for four days. The family heads out to the cemetery uh, they're joined by people from the community and they're crying. They're wailing. They're, they're, they're distraught. And Jesus looks at this and he bursts out in tears. He could feel the pain uh, of these folks. He, he understood what, what the mourning was. And uh, he himself mourns. Now he tells us this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's interesting when you look into uh, Isaiah chapter 61, there's some beautiful words. Uh, he, he said, come, he, that Jesus had come to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. Jesus says, I see the pain that sin causes in your life, the effects of that, but the the direct effects in in your own life as well. And he said, I understand. And my desire is I will bring about comfort for the mourners. We have uh, so many of our uh, church families have been touched by the death of a loved one over the past while. And, And I want you to hear those beautiful words of Jesus. Um, that the the mourners will be comforted and to know his presence with us. That as we weep over sin and the effects of sin, Jesus brings his comfort. Celebration. You know, it's interesting um, to see how the, the world does not mourn over sin. I remember when we were in London, there was, uh, there was uh, a business. And blatantly, uh, right near the hospital where Gerda worked, uh, called Sin City. I mean, people who, who just uh, make, make commerce of sin, who celebrate it, and there's no sadness, there's no mourning. And I had to tell you, folks, 
we need to mourn over our sin. And as we mourn over our sin and take it to God, he brings comfort from that. Well, the third are the meek. The meek. And he says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Um, we, when we did the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit was meekness, uh, also translated gentleness. And we, we looked uh, at that one Sunday, uh, and we see that God doesn't, God doesn't focus on necessarily the strong, the aggressive, the take-it-by-force kind of people, the powerful, those who bully others, those who walk over others to take what they're wanted. They're, they're the ones who, who in, for the sake of the kingdom, lay that all aside. Uh, they're the ones who are meek, and that is not weak because it takes, it takes a lot of strength to hold back. Uh, someone has, uh, has said that meekness is really power under control, power under control. And, and here are people who have chosen to be gentle, to, to even maybe at times it, it seems let people walk all over them. Uh, Kent Hughes talks about the strength of gentleness. It's patience. It's putting up with others. It's not retaliating. It's not fighting back. It's not having to be the winner and not the loser. In God's kingdom, these losers will inherit the kingdom, uh, will inherit the earth. It's upside down. We see the people who get ahead in this world are the people who go for it, who walk over others to achieve their thing. And God says, you know what? Uh, Jesus says, in, in, my, in my economy, that's not the way it works. The people who, who show deference to others, who, who let others go first, who are kind and, and, and generous, those are the people that are going to inherit the earth. It's not the people who by force do it. Isn't that great? Um, so it, it doesn't, you, may be, you may be disadvantaged in the world, but you're not disadvantaged in God's kingdom. And God will reward and bless that. Well, he goes on, and uh, there are those who have an appetite for righteousness. Here's what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness uh, is, is doing and living rightly. So it's certainly related to God um, and, and godliness, to, to live out what God would want us to live, to have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Do you, do you hunger? Do you crave righteousness? See, a lot of people, a lot of people don't do that. They crave a lot of things. They have appetites for a lot of things. But you can tell a kingdom person because they crave, they have an appetite, a hunger and a thirst uh, for righteousness. And, and that is certainly consonant with, with living as God would live. But there's, a, there's another aspect uh, to this word as well. Um, it, it certainly characterizes what is uh, God's will but it also really is reflected in how we treat others, that we would do that rightly, that would be a right treatment of others. And that's righteous living. Uh, and that can, that in that case, um, it's uh, how we relate to one another. It's on the horizontal plane, not just the vertical plane. These people are concerned with justice. 
They're concerned with love. They're concerned with the proper treatment of one's fellow human beings. Uh, treatment of others who are vulnerable and who, are, um, who, who get walked over and hurt, especially the susceptible. In the Old Testament, they talked about the fatherless or the orphans and the widows and the foreigners in the land, that they were vulnerable, that they could get abused. And in a world where the powerful can mistreat those who are not, who don't have power and don't have resources, God says, I love those who have a hunger and thirst for what is right. And we've seen all kinds of, uh, of things going on, uh, strikes, uh, people, people uh, trying to get their point made known, people looking for justice. And, and when, you're a, a, when you're a member of his kingdom, when you're living the kingdom values, you're going to be concerned for these kinds of issues and for others. And there'll be a yearning in your soul um, that people would be fairly and justly treated. And you'll stand up for that and you'll help them and you'll, um, you'll uh, encourage them. God says, um, I want you to have a hunger and a thirst. You know, not, and here's the thing, this is not natural to us. God puts that hunger and thirst in us. And then as we act on that, he fills us. And uh, so hunger and thirst for righteousness, and God will fill you with that. Well, he goes on to say also that uh, we need to understand something about what it is to be merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Um, mercy, all of us mess up. All of us have problems. All of us do things that we shouldn't have done. All of us get into, into messes that, uh, that we, that we uh, are, are, have gotten into trouble with. I don't know about you, but I, um, I want mercy for myself. I don't necessarily want mercy for somebody else. If I kind of run a red light, I go, oh man, I hope, you know, I hope nobody saw that. I hope there weren't police there. If somebody else runs a red light, I'm incensed. Why are the police not here? Did you see what that person did? You know, there's, there needs to be a spirit of mercy by God's people. And uh, if we see someone and they, they, they commit an, an infraction, we can get all sanctimonious about it because we wouldn't do that. And we, you know, we kind of get proud and, and, and all of that kind of thing. And we want them to get their due. We just don't want it for us. And this is kind of extending forgiveness and giving others another chance. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had trouble when they were going on their second missionary journey because John Mark was with them on the first one and he kind of pooped out on the whole deal. And, and time for the second one. And Barnabas said, I'll get John Mark. And Paul says, over my dead body, I'm not taking that guy. He, did, he just, he didn't make it. Their, their contention was so strong that Paul took Silas and Barnabas got this guy and who, who ended up writing the second gospel and Paul would say at the end of his life, this guy, bring him along with you. He's, he's just really important to us. It was mercy. It was, it was God's mercy poured out through Barnabas in him. It was Peter who's denied the Lord, and now he's standing in front of the Lord. And the Lord says, Peter, do you love me? I love you. 
Peter, do you really love me? I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? And Peter is hurt. You know everything. You know I love you. And God reinstates him. There's mercy. There's a woman in John 8 who is uh, caught in adultery. If you're catching a woman in adultery, there's obviously a man caught in adultery too, but they don't say anything about that. And uh, they said, Jesus, um, the law says she can be put to death, capital punishment. And what did Jesus do? He's writing in the ground, and he looks up and he says, the, whoever, whoever uh, is sinless, throw the first stone. And one by one, they all left. And Jesus said to her, where, where are your detractors? Where are your accusers? Well, they've all left. We'll go and sin no more. He's the God of the second chance, and sometimes we can be so holier than thou, and uh, we're missing the thing, and God wants us to be merciful to others. And here's the thing. God says, if, Jesus says, if you're merciful to others, you'll receive mercy yourself. You know, when we won't forgive, when we won't help, when we won't uh, pull something together, um, we're hurting ourselves. We need to be merciful. Uh, also, the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, in religious duty, there are a lot of things that we can see on the outside. And uh, you may think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a decent guy or something like that. But what God sees is he sees beneath the waterline. He sees what you can't see. He sees my heart. He, he sees my, my intention. The psalmist would say in Psalm 24, who can, who can go up the holy hill? Who can, who can go to the place of worship? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. What you do is right, but your heart, the thing that drives it all is right. Uh, so we can do charitable acts and give money and we can help people and all the rest, but God knows if we have a wrong motive in there. He sees, he asks for our love, heart, soul, and, and strength. And, and when, when what can't be seen by the outside, when Peter says to the Lord in response to, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. I can't hide anything from you. You know I love you. And we need to be concerned not just with public image, but with the real person that isn't seen and that there would be integrity in the inner part that we would have clean hearts that God would see and, oh God, purify our hearts. Well, the peacemakers, we're almost done, folks. Uh, The peacemakers. Some people like to stir things up, cause dissension, uh, division, drive wedges in between people. We see conflict wherever we look. Families, uh, workplaces, neighborhoods, uh, governments, churches, nations, people group, wherever we see, we see, we see uh, fighting, we see division, we see uh, difficulty and problems. And, and Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Um, he says in, in Colossians 1 that he reconciled us by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
Once we were alienated from God, now we're reconciled. See, he's a reconciler. He's a peacemaker. He's called, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. In Romans 5, it says, the just shall live by faith and, and have peace with God. Have peace with God. And the peace that we have God, with God is the peace that we're supposed to have uh, with other people. Uh, when, when there's warring, when, there's, when the peace is broken, when there's brokenness, if you, if you can't, this is like asking to push us into a difficult situation to build consensus, to bring peace to the world. And all of the brokenness, and you may have, you may have the uh, people who are family members who are fighting over a will. You can have problems. Somebody said something, did something. I'm not talking to them anymore. And, and see what, what God's people are, to be peacemakers and to go into that and seek to broker peace and, peace and bring people together, just as Jesus would do. Well, uh, the last one is uh, the persecuted. And he goes a little longer on this. He said, blessed are, those, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Happy are the persecuted. I don't know. It doesn't float my boat. How about you? Um, I'm going to be a Christian. Yeah, well, you're going to get persecuted. You should be happy for that. Yeah? It it sounds tough. And and it's the interesting thing. This is double repeated. There are two blessings for these people. Um, And and it may be offensive to our sensibilities. Happy are are we when we're hurt intentionally, when we're harassed, when we're mocked, when we're maligned, when we're rejected, when we're left out, when we're passed over, when we're excluded, when we're um, imprisoned or even killed. You should be happy about that. Because you've committed your life to righteousness and sometimes right living, it brings about problems for us. Jesus said, I want you to live and, and, and don't, don't be naive that nothing's going to happen to you. Because Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And if they persecute you, they're really persecuting me. I'm the target. Because of your identity with me, you, you catch the flack for that. And so we've got these clashing kingdoms. We've got the kingdom of darkness that's trying to to beat that down. We have the kingdom of light and the kingdom of, of God's dear son. And he will reign. But at the, in this time, we, we have problems with persecution and, and uh, we can find challenges to that. And he says, you know, if that happens, you stand in an exalted tradition because that's what they did to the prophets too. You're standing with them. And, and not only that, um, you're, you're going to get something there's a reward I have. You see, we, we tend to think we get everything in this age. We don't get everything in this age. The best stuff is yet to come. And some of us have sold our soul for the things that the world has to offer and, and not really been concerned with the afterlife and all that will be ours in that. And so when, they, when the apostles got this in their head, um, in, in Acts 5.51, the apostles rejoiced 
after they were beaten, that they were worthy to, be, to suffer for the name of Jesus. Is that incredible? They, were, they rejoiced. When Paul went to uh, uh, Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and uh, he, he got thrown into prison and, and beaten and, and was chained in prison, and uh, he and Silas were there, and what did, they, what did the people hear? They're singing at midnight praise to God. And so he says, look at this. Don't let persecution put you off. I will bless you. I will doubly bless you uh, as you go through all of that. This is what it's like to be a kingdom citizen. And last week we talked about the salt and the light. And I told you I kind of jumped ahead on that. When we live this, we are salt and light. We are what God wanted us to be to show what the kingdom uh, the kingdom of God looks like, what his citizens look like. I don't know. I, I, I'm following what's happening in the states in politics and, of course, with our election. And I, I find it distressing to see how we treat one another. I, I mean, it, it, it's terrible. The rancor, the hostility, the smear campaigns, the unkindness, the uncharitableness, the partisanship trying to take advantage of somebody, trying to hurt somebody, self-centered. And, and, and it, just, it just nauseates me. All of this vitriol and hatred and hurting and attacking. And in the midst of this, that's the kingdom of this world. We've got the kingdom of God's people who should shine like lights, who will be salt of, uh, to, to uh, prepare. And, and uh, so... Folks, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what Jesus is like. This is what a passionate follower of Jesus is. As we go through these week by week, I just pray that God will take and show us and and form us and make us. And, And here's the thing. You know what? You should look at this and I should look at this and go, wow, I'm uh, I'm done. I, I don't have I don't have a prayer. I don't have I don't have anything. And we can't do this. We can't live it. We can't. Only through God. And that's why we start is poor in spirit, destitute, bankrupt spiritually, coming to God and, uh, and having him enable us to do what we couldn't do in our own power. So you ready for this journey? You're ready for lunch, aren't you? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much. Um, man, Lord, your, your rule in our life, that would, that would just transform our house if those in our house, in our home, our family, would treat one another the way that Jesus is talking about how we should live our life. If politicians got that, if unions and, 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 and business and management got that, if, if countries got that, if tribal groups got that, Lord, how, how our, our, our lives would change, how the, the landscape would change. Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would work in us and that your kingdom values would be a part of our very existence and people would see our good works and would glorify our Father who is in heaven. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.